0: Join in expressing our appreciation for the presence of each of you. Those that are visiting, we thank you that you are here. I'm asked sometime, am I retired? And I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I've just started telling them, well, I've gone from full-time to sometime preaching. Well, this is my sometime, and I thank you for being here. I'm aware that... Uh, we're gathering or getting close to the time that many of our young people will be leaving home and headed off to college. And they'll be away from home for a while. And some, though they're not leaving, maybe not moving away from their dwelling place at the moment, they'll still be making more decisions on their own and shouldering more of the responsibility. Most of us at some time or another find ourselves away from home. And so I want to talk with you this morning about the subject, being away from home. With that in mind, let me just point out to you that though you probably don't think about it a lot, the Bible is full of examples of people that left their home and went somewhere else to dwell and to live. So let me just name a few of these people and we'll come back and talk about some of them. Adam and Eve were the first, I suppose, of the humans to leave their home They were in the perfect garden of Eden, and yet Eve sinned, and Adam sinned, and so they were put forth out of that garden, we're told. And I suppose that they were never allowed back in that garden again, never come back to that perfect home that they had in the beginning. Think about Abraham, if you would. He originally, seemingly, was in Ur of Chaldeans, But God called him to leave that place and to go into a land that he would show him and that he would eventually give to his descendants. And you can read about it in the book of Genesis in the 12th chapter where God calls him and tells him to leave this land that he's in, the Erechaldeans and and at that time Heron perhaps, and then go to this land of Canaan and, and serve there as a wanderer really on that occasion. Think about Joseph as time goes on. He's a good example of one that was young. He was 17, seemingly, when he was taken from his family and home. And he didn't leave the house that morning thinking, I'm not going to ever come back to this home again. He left because his father had sent him out to check on the brothers and the herds they had. And his brothers were envious and evil and they did devise the plot, planning to kill him, but later decided that they would sell him, and so sold him to some Ishmaelites, and they in turn carried him down into Egypt, and he was sold again, or or given to Potiphar, came somehow into Potiphar's uh, home, and that's where he lived for a while, and then cast into prison, and so for a long time prison was his new home, and then spared from that, and and became second in Egypt, and so living conditions, I suppose, got a little better as far as the conditions themselves. But look at all the changes that he went through in his life. Think about Daniel. He was taken from his home. He was taken from Judah to Babylon as a result of the order of the king Nebuchadnezzar as he invaded the uh, Judah. And there... He would live in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and then some other kingdoms, but away from where he he grew up in the beginning. Think about, if you would, in the story of the prodigal son and how in Luke the 15th chapter and verse 11 you have a younger son that goes to his father and says, Give me my inheritance And he takes that inheritance and he goes off into a foreign country. He's no longer living where he had in times past a new home for him. And maybe we ought to think sometimes about Jesus too, who was in heaven, but Philippians the second chapter tells us he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant made in the likeness of man. And he's talking about how that Jesus left heaven and came and dwelt on this earth for a while. Obviously, this is not all of the examples of people who lived one place and then exchanged that living for another in the Bible, and you can think of lots more. But I suggest to you that I chose these because I think they give us some insight in how it should be when we leave home and that we're away from home. And so I want to use these people and just draw some things that I hope will help all of us live a good life before God. If I was going to sum up the lesson just in in one sentence, I'd just suggest to you that we ought to be living godly in our homes, whether we're at home or whether we're away from home, we are always to be living godly and we are always to be living righteously. And that's the whole lesson, really. But I'm not going to turn you loose now. Let me go back for just a moment to these examples we mentioned. And let me point out to you that some of the motives behind them, and we mentioned it kind of as we went through them, But sometimes it was a willing choice, even if the idea wasn't originally theirs, they still went willingly. Abraham, that wasn't his idea, I suppose. He didn't just wake up one morning and said, I think I'll move. God called and talked to him and told him, I want you to leave this place and go into another land. And Abraham went willingly, though, it seems like. Think about the prodigal son. He went willingly. In fact, the story would tell us that he went into the father and asked the father to give him his substance so that he could go into a foreign country, and and he did that. And I don't really know his motive from the start of why he wanted to do that. I think when we see the rest of the story, uh, we perhaps get an idea that he just wanted to, to live a life that wasn't as regimented and he wanted to get rid of some of the, the restraints that he had. But that's for certain what happens with a lot of young people, that they think that they want to leave home because they want more freedom. They want more uh, freedom to make their choices without the restraint, without somebody standing over them and, and suggesting to them what's right and what's wrong. But as you see with the young man in the book of Luke in the 15th chapter, sin enslaves and it destroys. And this young man that had whatever vision he had to begin with was brought down to a very humble position where he realizes that he's made a mistake and he's ready to really go back home and submit himself to his parents even not just as a child, but he's willing, even if it would be just to accept him as a servant, though the father would receive him indeed as a son. But as you look at these also, you learn and see that sometimes it's not willingness. It's sometimes a forced move. Think about Joseph. He's displaced from his home because of the evils of his brothers. Or think about Daniel. He didn't make the choice on his own. He was taken captive and and sent to Babylon there. But in these cases, on some of them, even though they were not even their choice really, they still went and they still lived the best life that they could. And then there's Jesus. We'll talk more about him in a minute. What I want to do is to just suggest to you some particulars. We've said that the main point is that whether we're at home or away from home, we live righteously under God. But I want to take these examples and just draw out some points and particulars that can help us as we try to live righteously at home or away from home. One of the first things I would tell you to do It's purpose in your mind that you want to live righteously. Look over, if you would, to the book of Daniel, and I'm sure that you already are familiar with the passage. But you remember in the book of Daniel, and in the first chapter in verse 8, that as Daniel is taken away and as he They're preparing to give him food and so forth, and he doesn't want to defile himself with that kind of food. But it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine which he drank. Thereof he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He's talking particularly about food, and we're talking about a, a larger scope than that. We're talking about Staying away from sin. But when we leave, whether willingly or unwillingly, our thought ought to be, I'm going to live righteously in the sight of God. And we need to make that our purpose and our plan. And just know that this is our purpose and our plan. And that will help us a whole lot, even if we just say, that's my purpose, and we make it our purpose not to defile ourselves. I want to suggest also from Daniel that we need to be people of prayer. Whether we're in a familiar setting and familiar people or if we've moved away to somewhere else, we need to be a people of prayer. Again, you remember Daniel in the book of Daniel in the 6th chapter and This particular time, you remember that the king has made a decree that people can't make a request of anybody other than the king. But Daniel has, according to the scripture, the the habit of every day, praying several times, morning and noon and night, opening his windows toward Jerusalem. And so he still does that. And, And you learn from that that this wasn't just something when the king's commandment came out, he said, I'll show you. This was his pattern of life, that every morning he he led or would pray at morning and noon and evening. And we need to be people of prayer. I remind you that uh, prayer, the supplication of prayer or as James talks about in the book of James, the, the prayers of the righteous avail much. And then he points out how that Elijah had prayed for rain, and, and it came. I grew up, and I remember we had one house that had a little foyer, and uh, there was a bookcase, and over the bookcase was just a little bitty plaque that said, Prayer Changes Things. Prayer can change things. And we need to be people that make sure that we pray. And it doesn't need to be something that we do just because we're with our parents now or, or the, the families together now. It needs to be something that we do and that we want to make a part of our life. And remember we can pray even that we can overcome temptations. And that the Lord hears these prayers and they mean something to him. And so purpose that you're not going to defile yourself as you're at home or away from home. Secondly, make sure you Keep prayer as a part of your life, whether you're at the home that you've grown up in and are part of, or if you're going off by yourself. Just make it your purpose that you're going to say and have prayer at regular time. A third thing you see is that you have a responsibility to resist temptation. I'm thinking about Joseph and how He's taken away from his home where he grew up, sold into slavery by his brothers, then carried to Potiphar's house. And you remember that Potiphar's wife looked at him and and pursued him, and he resisted that. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. If you look at Genesis, the 39th chapter and verse 10, the phrase is that she persisted day by day. It wasn't that he had to resist just one time. It was that he had to resist one day, and he'd come back the next time, and he still had to resist again and again. It reminds me of the story of Balaam and Balak. And you remember that Balak was the king, and he would come to Balaam and say, "Curse the children of Israel." And Balaam would say, "No, I can't do that." or let me go and and talk to the Lord and see what he says. You get the feeling that he never just said, no, this is not it. That he would say, no, I'm not going to do that, but let me go talk to the Lord and maybe I can find a way that we can do that. And you know that at the end, he caused the children of Israel to sin and, and caused great harm for the cause of the Lord. You're going to face temptations, whether you're at home or away from home. And we need to say no when those temptations come. But we don't need to say, well, maybe, or perhaps no. We need a resounding no, so that the devil knows that we're meaning business and that we're not planning to yield to those temptations. And it may mean that sometimes we just have to flee the situation. That's the case with Joseph, as you remember in the book of Genesis in the 39th chapter. That one day she comes in, Potiphar's wife comes in, and she grabs hold of him, and and to get away, he just flees. And sometimes we're just going to have to flee. And that's a way of overcoming temptation, and it's a way of deliberately overcoming temptation. You remember in the book of James in the first chapter that James gives us a very good definition of temptation. He says a person is tempted when there's desire and opportunity. When there's desire and enticement, I think is the way the the translation reads. In other words, you have a desire and Satan comes along and he baits that. He tries to get you to go after something, draw you away from the Lord with that desire. And so that tells us there's two ways that you can overcome temptation. One, you can perhaps suppress the desire. But it's hard to do sometimes. And take some time to build yourself up perhaps so you can suppress the desire. But you can also just flee the bait. You can get away from whatever it is that's pulling towards you. And it counts just as much if you do that deliberately in order to get away from the temptation or to overcome the temptation as if you had to suppress the desire. Either way, you're showing God, I want to live righteously, and I don't want to yield to Satan and I don't want to yield to temptation, and I'll do whatever it takes to do in order to escape sin. And so you need to remember to, to resist temptation and at times even lead temptation. I want to suggest to you furthermore that you need to have the habit of worship. Not just out of habit, but it needs to be a part of your life and a consistent part of your life. I want to go back with you for a moment to the book of Abraham or to the book of Genesis, and talk to you about Abraham for a moment. I mentioned to you that you see him call, God called him in the book of Genesis in the 12th chapter, and so he leaves his home and goes where God wants him to go. And he's not just in one place in that land. He moves around some even then. But I want you to listen first to Genesis 12 and 7. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. That's Abraham built an altar. Look, if you would, to the book of Genesis in the 13th chapter in verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife in our uh, between me and you, in your herdsmen and mine. That's no passage I'm looking for. But you'll go on and find it in chapter 13 you'll see him build another altar. And then when you look over to chapter 22 and verse 9, you'll again see here's a place that Abraham comes to. And as he comes, it says, then he came to the place where God had told him. And Abram built an altar there and placed the wood on the in order and so forth. This is when he was going to offer up Isaac. And the point that he's making is, here's Abraham and he's left his home in Ur-Chaldeans, and he's come to this land that God has told him to come in, and he's not even really in a settled place, but wherever he goes, he worships. He builds altars. I read a statement one time. Somebody said, you could tell where Abraham had been just by the altars that he had built. It just seemed like anywhere he was, if he was there for any period of time, he built an altar, and he worshiped God. And that needs to be our life. Whether we're at home or away from home, we need to worship and have that in our life, as a part of our life, that we worship. I I have a book in my library that I just started reading, and I've set it aside kind of. But the title of it is, We Are What We Worship. And it's based on a passage out of Isaiah where these people uh, worshipped idols and they, they became idolaters. But you can worship God and you can become godlike. It, it helps you to become godlike. And so wherever you are, whether you're at home or away, make sure that worship is a part of your life. And when you go away from home, establish that habit or keep that habit immediately. Don't think, I'll, I'll do it later. You need to be worshiping from the start in order to, to get the strength that you need and to give God the praise and glory that he deserves. I want to tell you also that you need to be careful of your companions. You could see my outline. You would see that everything else is tight, but this is just written in. Because as I, I thought about it, I thought, this is something people need to understand and be aware of. It's not saying that you can't make it alone. And if you are alone, like Joseph, you just you need to face the temptation and you need to overcome the temptation. But it is to say that, that companions make a difference sometimes. And most of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about evil companionship, corrupt good morals. And while he's talking about doctrinally, particularly there... And the, talking about the resurrection, and, and seemingly indicating maybe you, they're picking up people that not teaching the truth about the resurrection. We know that it applies anyway with with whatever it is that that people influences, and we need to have people that will influence us for the good. Just think back again to Daniel. And you know that at the same time you read about Daniel or you read about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And we know Daniel stood by himself sometimes like when he was praying and he still prayed even though the decree was not. But we remember also the story of of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And I don't know, but... Don't you imagine there was just a little comfort with Meshach when he looked over and the Bendigo was there with him? Don't you think it was probably, "Hey, guys, we can do this if they could see each other and talk to each other?" And wouldn't that be better than, "Hey, I think we made a mistake we ought to We ought to denounce god we ought to We ought to do that. We are influenced by people sometimes, and so make sure that your companions are good. I have a a clipping in my folders somewhere in in the back. i got a whole file cabinet that doesn't get touched much anymore. I remember talking to James Adams one time, and he said, "We, we save all these articles and put them in there, and then someday you realize I've already used the good stuff or you've got your own stuff, and so you don't go to the file cabinet. But I remember having clipped an article one time It was a story about nine boys that got in trouble vandalizing some property. And when they brought them down to the police station, they arrested them and brought them down. And this detective talked to each of them, and his conclusion was none of them really wanted to do the vandalism. And said, probably if one of those persons had just stood up and said, no, I don't want to do that, that probably the rest of them would have said, I don't either. But nobody had the courage to stand up, and so nobody escaped the charges that came and the fall that came. Choose your companions wisely. That's not to say that we live in a world where you you can't, be associated with somebody that's evil and, and try and convert them or teach them or whatever. But your companions, those that, that you're going to draw influence from and that's going to influence you, you work to make sure that they are good people and that the influence that you get is going to be good and it's going to help you be righteous in God's sight and not something that will discourage you from being righteous in God's sight. And nowhere in my nose, let me just tell you, you tend to marry somebody that you run with and that's part of your group. I remember when I was younger that I was already preaching, but David Tant was with us. And he was talking to one of the young persons, and he said, well, what about this girl over here? And this guy said, Oh, she's just a friend. I remember David saying, you want to marry your enemy? We tend to marry friends. And so pick your friends good. And when you get ready to pick one that you're going to be married to, pick one that will help you. Help you be God. Anytime. The last thing I want to do is to tell you, remember the promise of righteousness. I want you to turn, if you would, to the book of Hebrews and the 11th chapter, a chapter that's all about faith. And drop down, if you would, to verse 8, Hebrews 11 and verse 8, because these are verses that talk about Abraham again. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into a place which he would receive as inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, the same promise. And then drop down, if you would, to that verse 15. And it says, And truly if, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, They would have had opportunity to return, but now they desired a better than a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And then He talks about how that Abraham was tested and He obeyed. My point is that here's Abraham, and he leaves his home and he goes to another place where he had not been before. And he has God's promise that you do this and your inheritance will be great. Your your people will receive this land as inheritance. But even beyond that, he says, he realized that he had a heavenly promise. And that all the time that Abraham was here on this earth and away from his original home... He kept thinking about this promise that God made to him about the heavenly place. And I want to suggest to you at home or away from home, make sure that you have that promise before you, that it's your promise, that God's promising you that, and that you have it in your heart, and that that's your main goal is to reach that place. And anything that doesn't point that way, then you want to get rid of it. You want to just put it aside because you're after that promise more than anything. I told you, and and incidentally, you'll notice that saying that, then the next verse talks about how Abraham obeyed God even when he was told to offer up Isaac. And he couldn't really grasped maybe everything in this. He thought really that God would even was going to keep his promise even if he had to raise Isaac up. But he knew that God was going to keep his promise and so whatever it was he was commanded to do, he was willing to do. And you can keep that promise of heaven before you and whatever it is we're called to do, you can do it. You can find the strength, maybe through prayer, maybe through encouragement of others, that you can find the strength to overcome temptation and keep that promise alive. I told you Jesus used him as an example of one who left one place to dwell in another. And, of course, he's talking about Jesus, or we're talking about Jesus, how that he was in heaven as God, with God, and then emptying himself, as the verse says, and took upon him the form of a servant. And uh, just when you grasp that, so much there. I remember one preacher saying, that's kind of like a man suddenly becoming an earthworm. And he still got the thought of what it was like when he was a, an earth or a man, but now he's limited as an earthworm. Here's Jesus who was deity and now he's limited by a human body to some extent. He's still deity. Come back tonight, we'll talk about that. But he's still deity, but he he has limited himself greatly. But in a way, he was away from home all the time that he was here on earth. He was originally in the presence of God the Father and the Spirit. And now he's away from them. And I want you to know that if you are a Christian, or you should have as your home heaven, you shouldn't think about God. And if you're with God, you're at home. You're where you ought to be. If you're away from God, you're away from home. And you need to get back. God that story we talked about in the prodigal son how this young man thought I want my inheritance and he took his inheritance and went into a foreign country and wasted his substance there even got down to where he was with the pigs in the pig pen would have eaten their food if somebody would have given it to him that's how low he had sunk But that story ends well because he went back to his father's house and his father was willing to take him back as a son. I don't know where you are today with your relationship with God, but if you're not close to God, if if you're not in fellowship with God, you're really away from home and you need, like that young prodigal son, to come home and make a relationship with God. You can do that if you haven't done so by repenting of your sins and being buried in Christ with baptism, rising up to walk in newness of life. And if you've done that but gone astray, then then just come back to him and tell him, God, I'm sorry. And I'm not worthy to be called your son, but he will graciously make you his son, and, and you'll be a part of his household, his home. That'll be your home. And heaven will be your home one day. D. Bowman used to say, if you miss heaven, you miss it all. I didn't know it till just recently, but that's on his tombstone. If you miss heaven, you miss it all. Whether you're home or away from home in this world, if you miss heaven, you've missed it all. And life is going to be sad for you at the end. So as we stand and sing the invitation song, if you are away from God now, come home. And whether you're living at home home or away from home, live righteous and live for God. Won't you come as together we stand and sing? The Lord keeps us on.